Please turn with me in your Bibles to the uh, minor prophet Jonah. It's 9.35 in my Bible. I don't know if that helps many of you, though. Um, Sorry, we don't have the page number in the bulletin. So you go to about the middle, you hit the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, and you got Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. So if that helps. So this week in VBS, uh, the reason I thought of Jonah is that's what uh, our our study is in VBS. So I thought, why not look at this together as we uh, enter into a study of that, uh, at least many of us this week in VBS. Jonah, of course, uh, the prophet of God, is such an unusual book. Uh, Typically, God delivers his message to the people through a prophet uh, through his words. God gives the words to the prophet. The prophet speaks them. Well, here we have actually a story. We have the story of Jonah's life, but it actually works in the same way. This story, a few episodes from Jonah's life, is a word of God to his people uh, to challenge them and basically to be a mirror. It holds up a mirror for them to look at and examine their own lives because God is calling his people through the story of Jonah to repent and to be a light to the nations that he has called them to be. Uh, Jonah ministered in a time of great uh, unfaithfulness. And, of course, we can see that unfaithfulness in his own life. Uh, the message uh, that this uh, came to, the, the people that this message came to, were focused on themselves. They were not obeying God. They were not living out what he had called them to be by his grace. And, of course, there was a, a string of really bad kings. This was in the northern kingdom. And they were only focused on themselves and not being a light to the nation. So let's read this and hold this mirror up to our own lives. Uh, we're going to read beginning at chapter 2, and we're going to read uh, starting at verse 8 through the end of the book. So bear with me a little a bit of a big section. If you don't know the story, just to summarize chapter 1, that's when Jonah is called by God to go to Nineveh, a foreign city, a great city, an enemy city and to preach the good news of God's love and of his holiness and call them to repent. Well, Jonah disobeys. He goes the opposite direction. He's on a ship. God sends a storm. And Jonah voluntarily, after a while, throws himself in to save the ship and the sailors. God appoints a whale or a great fish to grab Jonah and save him and deliver him. And then Jonah prays in chapter 2 and thanks the Lord for delivering him. And then we'll pick up at the end of that prayer of thanksgiving and continue on with the rest of the story. So Jonah chapter 2, verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah upon out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 
And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. Uh, nor, uh, excuse me, I lost my place. Can someone help me with the verse? Verse eight. Uh, let them, uh, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat in it. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well. I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Uh, Thank you for this story. Uh, Father, we need your help. Uh, We need your light to illumine us, uh, to help us to understand and help us to see what you would have us see. Uh, Father, give us grace uh, from your Holy Spirit. Amen. Look at that last verse again in chapter four. God says, and this is a key to the whole book. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. I care, Jonah. I care about this world that I've made. Jonah, do you care? And notice the question is not answered. And that's a that's a rhetorical device. It's a, it's a literary device so that that question will stand to you and to me. Do we care about this great city? Do we care about 
our city, that we care about our neighborhoods. God is saying, I care about what I've made. I care about the people in my world. I'm committed to the redemption of my world. And Jonah and you, my people, I have lavished my grace upon you so that you might be a vehicle of that grace to those around you, that you might be light to them. Uh, That is the calling that God gave to his people. Remember back even when God called Abraham at that kind of moment when he set the paradigm for who his people were to be. Uh, Don't turn there, but remember in Genesis chapter 12, God said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. What grace is given to Abraham? But why did God give that grace? The next phrase says it well. So that all of this grace, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And in you, Abraham, through you, people of God, all the families of the earth will be blessed. I care about my world. I care about my creation. Do you care about my creation? Jonah. In Genesis 49, um, and remember, this passage in Genesis was given to God's people as they were being formed, as the pattern was being set uh, for them as a nation. And at the end of Genesis, we get this statement. God says, the scepter, that's a symbol of the king's power, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. There will be a king from Judah. And what's going to what is this king going to do? The ruler's staff will not depart from his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall the obedience be the obedience of the peoples. In other words, how is God going to bless the nations? It's going to be even back in Genesis to the people of God. You need to know I'm going to bless the nations through a king that comes from the the tribe of Judah and he is going to extend his kingdom and the nations are going to come and obey him and submit to him and follow him. Jonah, I care about my creation. Do you care about my world? All of the Old Testament is about this theme. Uh, really, it's one of the main themes of the Old Testament. Think of the psalm uh, Alan read for the call to worship. Think of the psalm. And then we said we sang the hymn based on that psalm. Uh, think of the, these words we just sang. Sing to the Lord. Sing his praise. All you peoples. Right. Tell of his wondrous works. Tell of his glory till through the nations. His name is revered. I care about my world, says the Lord. Do you care? And so the Lord, through the story of Jonah, is holding up a mirror to show how often we don't care enough. We don't care about the nations. So let's look at three different ways in this text um, where God is challenging uh, us to repent, challenging his people to repent and be a light to the nations. The first challenge that God issues in this story is the challenge. uh, He challenges our disobedience. I mean, that's obviously... um, Here in the story, in verse 1, look at chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. You notice how 
the, the verses parallel. God said, arise, go to Nineveh. And Jonah arose and went to Tarshish. The exact opposite. His disobedience is clear. He goes the exact opposite way. And the text emphasizes his disobedience at the word of the Lord. Also notice in verse 3, Jonah was going away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah's thinking, somehow, if I can just get offshore a little bit away from the nation of Israel, I can get away from this God. Madness, right? It's lunacy. You can't run from God. And Jonah knows this. Look down in verse 9 of chapter 1. Jonah said to him, this is in the middle of the storm when they figured out Jonah's the, the root of the problem. Jonah says, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. I serve the Lord. He made everything. He's the God of the universe. If I can just get a little ways away, maybe I'll escape. I'm going to flee from his presence. It's madness. Jonah's theology is disconnected from his life. And don't we do that too? We know the right answer. We know, but we hide. We run from God's presence when a hard task is in front of us. Now, the Assyrians, they were the enemy. This city of Nineveh. They were the enemy. They were hated by many. They were cruel, unknown for their cruelty. But God says, my love is that great that I pursue my enemies and I'm invested in this world I've made. I'm not uh, standoffish. I am not impassive toward my world and I'm going to redeem it all. It won't be easy, but I will be with you, Jonah. Go to them and tell them about my love. Tell them about my holiness. Tell them to repent and embrace me as their God. I wonder this morning, is there a person that you have a hard time loving? Maybe that's a member of your own family. Maybe that's a neighbor or a coworker who just uh, gets at you and you have a hard time loving them. Would God have you care about that person? Does God care about that person? Well, the mirror of Jonah says, yes, Absolutely. Um, God's love smashes all of our excuses. We have no excuse to be disobedient, to reach out to the people around us who are hard to love. Um, I know a story. Uh, Recently, I met an RUF pastor. He actually ministers at the University of Virginia. And he ministered to me greatly at a conference recently. And he was telling me the story of his conversion. I think I told this to some of you in Sunday school a few weeks ago about how there was a man who... Uh, became a Christian. He was he, this pastor. He was not on good terms with this man, but this other guy became a Christian and decided, you know what? Jesus went to his enemies. Jesus ministered to his enemies. I'm going to go after my enemy and minister to him. And that's why this pastor is a pastor. It's because an enemy went after him and loved him, though it was hard, though it was difficult, though it was tense. And yet God used that and blessed that to bring uh, a lot of blessing now to to many, many students on Virginia's campus. So, of course, disobedience is what God uh, challenges in our lives. Secondly, he challenges our idolatry. And he asked Jonah this question, you know, Jonah, who are you really serving? Are you really serving me? I mean, it's very puzzling to us how this prophet um, would would. Do the exact opposite. The one who is supposed to be obedient. The one who is supposed to be close with God. Very puzzling. 
But of course, as you read the story, it gets much worse, doesn't it? It gets much more puzzling, uh, perplexing to us. Uh, Jonah, even after, as we read, has success in Nineveh and people repent. Jonah is just furious. He is angry at God. He hates God in this moment because they repented. I thought that was good, Jonah. It's very puzzling. I mean, what, what makes sense of this? What's really going on? Well, just like in the early part of the story, God tracks down Jonah and rescues him with a whale. God tracks down Jonah through this, through this plant. And through uh, he, he basically confronts Jonah and says, Jonah, uh, you care about this plant. Let's just go there in chapter four and read that section again quickly. And verse five it says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now, the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant. And so it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked him, uh, he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. God lays bare Jonah's idolatry of self. What does Jonah really care about ultimately? He doesn't care a lick about these people, doesn't care a lick about his enemies and showing them God's love. Jonah cares about himself, cares about his own comfort. What an appalling misordering of priorities. And... There's so many people around us in the same boat who are lost in their sins, cannot tell their right hand from their left. Are we caring about them or are we acting like Jonah at times? Now, it seems harsh, right? God gives the plant, takes it away through the worm. I mean, it seems like God is almost toying with Jonah. It seems a little bit harsh on a first reading. It's not harsh. What is God doing? God is pursuing Jonah. Jonah, I care about you too much to let you sit in your self-indulgence, in your petty attitudes. I'm going to pursue you, Jonah. And yes, it's going to be a little harsh and that it's not going to be fun or easy. But I'm confronting you with what you need to be confronted with. A proper diagnosis of the heart condition is critical to going on to the cure. It's the same with the soul, just like in medicine. We need to know our hearts. Now, when you understand the background of uh, who this message was first given to and what was going on at the time in the nation of Israel, this message makes so much sense that God is confronting their preoccupation with their own prosperity and comfort and ease and ignoring the nations around them. Um, that's exactly this. This uh, Jonah ministered during the time of a king named Jeroboam II. And the book of Amos, the prophet Amos, was written at the same time. So you get sort of the background through Amos. Let me just read you a couple of verses from Amos that explains. Uh, this is what the prophet Amos says to the people. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke punishment 
because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. Um, There's a chilling parallel there. They don't care about righteousness. They don't care about following the Lord. They're focused on their own wealth and prosperity and comfort. Just as Jonah cared more about the plant, well, they'll do anything to get ahead. They, they, they trade the needy for a pair of sandals. And so you also have to understand at this time, Jeroboam II is actually expanding the borders of Israel. And so Israel's expanding. The kingdom is expanding. But it's not God's kingdom. It's the kingdom of man. It's a kingdom of self-centered indulgence and prosperity. It's not righteousness and peace and justice and grace shown to the nations. That's not the expansion that God wants. God wants expansion into human hearts, confronting our idolatry, calling us to repentance, to depend upon him and not our own material goods. And God is gracious. That's why he warns. So the second challenge to repent is to repent of our idolatry. The third challenge to repent is God challenges our lack of love for him, our lack of gratitude for what he's done for us. Because underneath the disobedience of Jonah, underneath his idolatry of self and being self-absorbed, underlying all of that is just a simple lack of love. For God, remember in chapter one, when Jonah is owning up to he's the problem on the boat, he needs to be thrown in to save everyone. He's saying, look, I deserve it. I deserve to die. Cast me in. And he throws himself upon God's mercy and God sends the whale and rescues him. And Jonah responds to that and says, Lord, in his prayer of thanksgiving in chapter two, Lord, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But you, I thank you. You saved me. I appreciate that. But of course, this attitude of thanksgiving and gratitude and love for God quickly fades. When God shows mercy to Nineveh, look in chapter four. Of course, it displeases Jonah and he's angry. And his prayer is much different this time. Lord, Is this not what I said when I was yet in my own country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Where is Jonah's love for God? I I know you are God. I know you're merciful. But I actually deep down resent that. I resent. I don't love your mercy. I don't love to see it at work in this world, redeeming this world. Jonah has changed from a beggar asking for mercy, depending solely upon God's grace to this insider attitude, an attitude of privilege, uh, demanding. And deep down, I resent your grace. I like it when it benefits me, but no one else. That's humbling. We need to be humbled by God's grace every day. Lord, we don't deserve anything from you. Our next breath is your grace and mercy in our lives. Lord, who are we to deserve your grace? The great danger always, every day, is to forget the grace and the greatness of God's grace to us in the gospel. Never forget 
that we're like those sailors, we're like those Ninevites. Our sin has come up before God, and yet he has sent someone to call us to him, to show us grace and mercy. That's the great irony, right, in the whole book. Who's the one? Who are the ones who are, who are repenting? It's not Jonah, the prophet of God, the man of God. Left and right, it's the pagans who are repenting all around. The sailors are worshiping God and repenting on the ship after Jonah's delivered. It's the Ninevites. It's very moving. They put on the sackcloth. They set a, a fast and they say, we don't deserve it, but let's repent and perhaps God will show us mercy. I, mean, I hope that moves you. We need to have that same attitude. Lord, we don't deserve it. How great is your grace? Is the grace of God growing in your life, in your view of it? Is it growing bigger and bigger each day? That's what we need to remember and hang on to. Now, remember when Jesus, Jesus went to the Pharisees uh, many times, and those were the ones, of course, that were very religious and had the classic insider attitude of privilege, um, just like Jonah, they resented Jesus' teaching about grace. They resented him reaching out to the sinner uh, when he healed people. It drove them nuts. When God, through Jesus, um, gave light and grace to those around him, it infuriated them, just like Jonah. Remember what Jesus said to them in Matthew. He said this, The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. You know, as Alan often says, the whole scripture points to Christ. The whole story of the scriptures is about God bringing redemption to his people through the Lord Jesus What about Jonah? We know Jesus said, uh, just like Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so I will be three days and three nights in the earth and come back to life again. So obviously Jesus talked about that. But I want to submit to you the primary way in which Jonah points us to Christ is the call that we've been talking about, the call to be light to the nations. Because where is that call ultimately fulfilled? It is fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the light, the heart of God for the nations ultimately comes to fruition through Jesus and the death and resurrection of of Jesus on the cross and the grace that goes to the nations from him. In Acts 26, Paul uh, is testifying before a king and he says this, I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses, and that prophets could include Jonah, of course, nothing but what they said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. I care about my world, says the Lord. I care enough about this world to come myself, to send my son to finish the job. I am the God who is full of compassion and steadfast love. Think of the people that Jesus called. 
to repentance. The people who Jesus turned around, Matthew the tax collector, ended up writing a gospel that has evangelized many. Of course, the ministries of John and James and Peter and Paul himself. Jesus grabbed them and turned them around, called them to repentance and sent them out to be a reflection of his light among the nations. Of course, it was Jesus who said, go and make disciples of all the nations. And that is his command to us. And that's the command of Jonah. And here it is uh, in the Great Commission, the same command, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, in that statement, go is not the main command. The main command is make disciples. You don't have to go anywhere to make disciples. They're all around us. Think of the people in your neighborhood. And we need to, as a church, continue to keep this in view. This is who God has called us to be, to bless and be light to those around us, to have our love shine, the love of Jesus, so that others see and come to believe. And maintain, most of all, your awe at the grace of God that has been shown to us who do not deserve it in the least. We are those nations that have heard the message from far, far away, who have no right No right whatsoever to be forgiven. And yet perhaps God will, and he has through Jesus. God obviously worked despite Jonah. What will God do through us who actually decide to embrace what God has called us to be? What will he do through us by his grace? He will smash our idols, surely. There are days when I I care more about my coffee and getting my coffee the way I want it to be than I do about that person down the street. And I put more thought into it. But God smashes our idols. He confronts our idols of comfort and ease. And he pushes us out to be light, to be ministers of grace. And he will complete the task. Let's join him in that. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for this story of Jonah that is full of challenge that is a heavy story and yet it is shot through with your grace and care and concern for us and for all the nations father help us to embrace our calling what you've made us to be to be ministers of grace to those around us father keep us humble keep us trusting in your your light jesus in his name we pray amen